welcome into Fireside Chats. This is episode number nine, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. This show was created as a place to have conversations with leading minds in the industry, and today's show is no different. I spoke with the Director of Football and Research for Sports Info Solutions, Matt Manichurian, and we had a blast digging into the role analytics has to play in football evaluation and football as a whole, really, and we even got into some debunking some Carson Wentz myths, so you're not going to want to miss that part of it. Before we get to that, I want to plug an upcoming fireside chat with Dan Hatman from the Scouting Academy, of which I've attended. Dan's a former Eagles and Giant Scout and has been a great influence on me as I started out in football media and evaluation. Look forward to that because we'll probably have some really interesting nuggets from his time in Philadelphia. But that's for another day. Today, we're talking with Batman Achurian. Let's kick it over to that conversation right now. He is the Director of Football and Research for Sports Info Solutions. If it sounds familiar, it's because I cite SIS as much as I can. He is Matt Manichurian, at Matt Mano on Twitter. Matt, brother, it's been two months since we last saw each other. It's too long. How you doing? Oh, man, we had a good time in Mobile now, didn't we? Oh, we did. We did. <laughs> I love you some Mobile. Yeah, Mobile is definitely a place that uh, it, it's hard to explain it to people until you've actually been there. And specifically for the Mardi Gras that is Senior Bowl week. How about that the Wednesday when we everybody knew there was no practice that they could go to and that Tuesday night was just, it was a brawl. <laughs> it was incredible. <laughs> yeah, I read that story. Like somebody wrote an article about how the, the combine was just debauchery and how it is every year. And that's what it's degraded into. And I'm like, man, you got to come to Mobile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's where it really goes down. I'm so excited to have you on today. It's been a long time coming. Matt, if you could detail your background for the gentle listeners and let them know where you came from and what what you do now for Sports Info Solutions. Yeah. So contrary to the uh, you know nerd just sitting behind a desk and trying to ruin football for everybody narrative that you know, Charles Barkley wants to put out there. <laughs> My background's a little different. So I grew up playing football. I played uh, high school football in uh, New York outside the city. Uh, not great football, but decent enough. Um, and I was nowhere near a good enough athlete to play major college football. And I got into Duke on academics. So I, that's when my playing career ended. I, w- I was a safety and a wide receiver and very much a you know coach on the field type safety is a, was my kind of role there. Very cerebral player. And that suited me well for my career because as soon as I graduated from Duke, I went back and I started coaching high school football. My, my old high school coach had me back as the DBs and receivers coach right away. Did that for a couple of years, landed an internship in New Orleans where I became a scouting assistant. And I was scouting in New Orleans for four years with uh, Mickey Loomis and Ryan Pace, me and my main bosses down there, Sean Payton stories, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I got poached by Mike Lombardi's Browns. And actually, even though it was the Browns, I really appreciated working for Mike Lombardi. I thought he had a great vision, really forward thinking what he wanted to accomplish. But, you know, the rug got pulled out from under him there. And that was, you know, my my footing as well. So from there, I had to pick up my pieces and really figure out my next move. And I ended up going back to school. I got my master's in sports management from Columbia. And there was this guy named Vince Gennaro who ran the program there. He's also the president of Sabre, the Society for American Baseball Research, Sabre Metrics, all that stuff. So he hooked me up with this company, Baseball Info Solutions, which was founded by Bill James, among others, and has been doing baseball research and working with MLB teams since 2002. And this was 2015. They told me they were trying to start doing this with football teams now. I came on in 2016 after they had just started things up. They had a partnership with Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders. 
but really that's when I came on in 2016. We got our first team partnership at that time and we've really started building things up. So we've got 60 video scouts in our office here in Copley, Pennsylvania. And these guys are watching every game from every angle, recording all kinds of intricate data points. And then we take that data, we report that to the teams, and then we also perform analytics on top of it, and we report our analysis to the teams as well. And so our goal is just help the teams win more games and help the public take this all in and, and understand the game they love better. That's awesome, man. That's a very impressive background. And there are a couple of points there that I want to touch on as a follow-up. You mentioned Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders, who I've had on this show, Fireside Chats, to talk about their their almanac that they release before every season, which is a great resource. But you also do a podcast with him as well, right? Yep. We do the Off the Charts Football Podcast together. Uh, originally, it was Aaron and Scott Spratt, but uh, Aaron and I have been doing it for the last two years together with our producer, Justin Stein. And uh, we, yeah, every Thursday we get together, we talk some football, we talk analytics. Aaron's always got his his interesting perspective that he brings to things and very much also bringing my scouting background into the table. We kind of, you know, talk ball from all aspects and really try to analyze from all around. So thank you for mentioning that. And uh, yeah, I love, love the guys that I've been reading Aaron for as long as I can remember. You know, it's cool to get to work with him. Yeah, same way. And I like the dynamic that you guys bring. Like you said, it brings the scouting aspect and and the experience of that and also like the deep analytical minds into it as well. So you get it from both sides, which is very important, especially with where we're moving, you know, in in football in that direction. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But you you mentioned the video scouts. And I I personally know one of them, Bryce Rossler, uh, a friend of mine who came up with me through the Scouting Academy. Uh, He eventually went to Sports Info Solutions to go work for you, uh, which has been a great experience for him. He's constantly learning. I talk with him every day. He's having a great time there. But from your video scouts, what what are the things that you're tracking when your video scouts chart games? Well, real quick, I uh, appreciate Dan Hatman and I appreciate Bryce Rossler because without those guys, I would have never been introduced to you. Um, and aside from that, those guys are cool guys on their own. So the Scouting Academy, they're doing awesome stuff. And then what we're able to do here, you know, having all the guys under one roof together, scouting, sitting next to each other, watching the games, being able to talk about the players. It's a really cool environment. And we're tracking everything from what Aaron Schatz was was tracking back in the Football Outsiders days. So things that aren't on the box score, kind of that Bill James approach. So yards after contact and broken tackles, all that stuff that started getting cornerback charting stats, all all this stuff that really was the first wave of new analytics. We're doing all that stuff. And then we've layered on top of that really intricate what I call quality control data. And what I mean by that is it's the same thing that the quality control coaches are gathering for the teams, or I should say that they used to gather for the teams because now those guys can kind of take the next layer and keep working off from there. So in terms of what the routes are, what the coverages are, blocking schemes, personnel groupings, you name it, basically anything that's going on in the play, we're trying to find in as intricate detail as possible a way to record what's going on. And then we use all of that to formulate our analysis. And you can find a lot of that info from that charting that gets tweeted out, gentle listener, at sportsinfo underscore SIS. It's a fantastic resource. And Matt, it might please you to hear this, although it should be obvious, but I'm looking at my copy of the 2019 Sports Info Solutions Rookie Handbook. Uh, The link for purchases there in the show notes there. If you want to take a look at that, I would highly advise you do so. I've been using the analytics therein to accentuate some key points as I tweet out videos of the prospects in the two. 2019 NFL draft. It's been a great resource with a plethora of information, scouting reports out the wazoo. I know you've probably given the elevator pitch for this puppy about a hundred times, but give it one more time for the listeners.
listeners here. Well, it really ties into what I was just saying, kind of the whole background of what Sports Info Solutions is, working with the teams, providing this information to them. And the Rookie Handbook came out because we've been gathering this information. We've been compiling it for the teams and, and, and packaging it to them in all sorts of different ways. And we wanted to give the people out there a chance to see. So we've got three years of college football data now. We've got player, we've got kind of their full real college playing career recorded. And we can give you an analytical breakdown of who these guys are. And analytic not only just meaning, okay, how many yards does this guy have, yards per attempt, adjusted yard, you know, all the different ways that we can slice and dice it with analytics. But on top of that, it gives us interesting things that tell us about how the player was used. So uh, one thing I heard you talking about was was looking at running backs and fitting zone versus gap schemes. That's something mm. that you can look at and you can check out all of these running backs and how they performed in one scheme versus another, or you can see how often they were lined up out wide. So just to get an idea about certain usage things, I'm looking at a defensive lineman. How often was he in a five technique versus in a three technique so that I can get in a better understanding just overall how he's being used. And then from there you can pull the film out. And that's the other thing that you get for each player, each scouting report. You will also have an NFL style scouting report based on what I learned with the saints and with the Browns kind of combining the best of both worlds into an NFL style scouting report very similar to what happens at the scouting academy kind of two different cuts at, at a very similar process and you see how we've gone across and cross-checked and gone through 400 players to narrow down who we think are the 250 best players in the draft and, and provide the reports for you the same way as if you were a gm so you can have your scouting report you can do all of your traditional scouting but then right next to that too you can have this sort of analytic profile and be able to add that together and make of it what you will so one point that I can follow up on that, for instance, we, we hear a lot about Ed Oliver, the defensive tackle from Houston, who could love go him. high in this year's draft. Yeah, man, I love him. But, you know, you hear a lot about him being maybe miscast or uh, used in a role that was really difficult for him at Houston. You hear a lot of people talking about him being used as a zero tech or a nose tackle. In the Sports Info Solutions Rookie Handbook, you can see where he was lined up and you have him charted as at nose tackle 64% of the time. So it's nice to be able to back up what you saw on film with those numbers to confirm that what you're seeing was correct. And look, man, I'm a, I'm a film guy when it comes to scouting draft prospects. And over the years, I've integrated analytics into my work throughout the season. And I find them extremely valuable and accentuate the film work that I'm able to fit in during the busy time. And they're just great use for indicators on what to watch for, certain themes that develop for teams as the season progresses. Here's my question, just and this is just for me personally. Why and how should I integrate analytics like the type used in the in the Sports Info Solutions Rookie Handbook into my scouting process? And I guess the real question would be, uh, how do you folks do it when you get for instance, your final grade on a player. Let's circle back on Ed Oliver because I think he's interesting and I like talking ball. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you said you're a film guy. And I used to say that. And now what I would say is I'm neither a film guy nor an analytics guy. I'm a football guy. Right. And yeah. that's because, you know, in my old role, I had to rely on the skill, the film. I had to rely on my character reports. And then, you know, for other stuff, injuries, you know, things that I wasn't so worried about. That was for the decision makers to handle. That was for the other departments to handle. That wasn't my concern. But here, my my role is much more kind of overarching, and I'm and I'm having to look at it kind of with a big picture view, uh, a lot more like a GM would look at it from where I sit here. Really, I think that there are two ways that you can think about incorporating analytics. So the first way that you could think about it is bringing it into the process, like we do in the rookie handbook. What we do is we have our set of scouts. Our scouts do scouting. They're not doing analytics. They're looking at who the players are, they're grading the traits, they're doing trait-based scouting, just like you know most quote-unquote film guys would do. Right. But then we have, like you said, these numbers that are side-by-side side here, 
And what they can help us do is one, the analytics can see all the games, no matter who you are as a scout, maybe for one player, for a couple players, you could watch all their games. If you wanted to be really exhaustive on them. I remember when Teddy Bridgewater was coming out, I had a high grade on him and I watched every game, I think uh, for two years of him, just to make sure that I wasn't missing anything. And that I was really, you know, I stood behind that recommendation and then we drafted Johnny Manziel. So it shows me what good that did. <laughs> so that's one thing. This, the, the analytics can see all the games. They have all of the games in their view of all of the teams. And there's no scout that can watch all of the games of all of the teams. So it's valuable in that sense to kind of help save you time on the front end. But then on the back end too, once you've made your reports and you've come to your evaluations, it's helpful to compare and to look and see, okay, does my film the grade that I'm seeing, does it match what these analytics are saying? So right. are these traits that I'm measuring matching what the numbers are measuring? And the numbers are supposedly measuring traits as well to an extent, right? So you got to marry these up and match these up. And those are the guys I'm always saying where you have consensus, that's where you make good picks. And not just consensus between scouts, not just between scouts and coaches, but between scouts, coaches, and analytics. You know, you can throw the medical guys in there too as well. When you get that consensus, you tend not to miss when everybody's on the same page about what they're seeing. Now, when you have a guy where somebody sees him as a high, high-end prospect and somebody else says, no, 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 I don't think we can play with him, those are the guys that you better take a second look at because sometimes those are the guys that you miss on because there's not a clear vision for what this player is. Now, sometimes you hit on those guys because you're Sean Payton and you drafted Jimmy Graham and you know exactly what you're going to make Jimmy Graham into. Right. But if you don't have that clear vision or if you don't have the power to see that vision through and there's disagreement within the building, there are a lot of ways that draft picks can go wrong, even if they have good film. And so really looking for that consensus and the consensus between the analytics and the scouting is very important to me because if this process that's seeing all the games and gathering up all this kind of higher level information is telling me one thing and it's matching what the scouts that I trust the most are out of my scouting department, the guys that I know, know how to watch the film, know exactly what they're looking at. If those things match, I've got a lot of confidence in the pick that I'm making at that point. Now, wait, but I know I'm getting long winded, but you asked, so that's one way to fit it in, bringing it into your process. Like you're saying, okay, I also want to look at these numbers and bring that in and, and help round myself out. The way that I even prefer to use it is analytics overseeing the process. And right. this is a weird jump for some people, but what, if we're really doing a good job at scouting and at analytics, then we have to understand that these are inextricably linked. That scouting is analytics and analytics is scouting because analytics doesn't just mean combine numbers. It doesn't just mean on-field performance numbers. Analytics means better decision-making. That's why we have analytics in every business that exists right now. And it's going to be continually growing because it helps us make better decisions. And that's how businesses win. That's how football teams win. So we've always had tendency reports. Call it analytics now. Fine. But... <laughs> This is going to help us understand. So one of my big frustrations working in the league was I put in my scouting reports. I put in my Teddy Bridgewater grades and there was no real good way to synthesize what one scout put in as his report and another scout put in. You have all these different trait grades coming in and you have people that have no mathematics expertise trying to just average them out and figure out what's going on. The real great way is throw out all of the quote unquote analytics, you know, the numbers that, that are on field, the combine stuff. If you could just take all of the scouting grades and the trait grades and analyze those in a, in a better process, for example, I could learn that Michael is better at scouting defensive ends and Bryce is better at scouting linebackers. Mm. Over time, they've had more consistent grades on those positions. Or I could say, you know what? We thought that a critical factor for cornerbacks was hip flexibility. However, 
we have no, there's no, our historical <laughs> grades about hip flexibility, it turns out that they don't have anything to do with how good the corner actually ends up being in, on the NFL level. Now, that's not one that's actually true. That was just a, a made up example. But right. if you study all of these traits and how they project, and then you study the individuals and how accurate they are at those traits over time, we can make a better process. Joel and B, trust the process. This is seriously what we're aiming to do here is create, it doesn't mean tank, it means create a better process for how we're looking at this stuff. So, and that includes scouts because the scouts are the best data that you get. But then when you add in the combine numbers and, and the, the charting data and you do a top-down kind of analytics approach like that, it makes scouting really easy. So let's talk about Ed Oliver because you touched on him. You said you love him. And, you know, I'm looking at his scouting profile on your, on your rookie handbook right now. He's a top 10 player for me. But what do the analytics say that match the film? Like, was he a guy where, like you said, you check the analytics and you go, okay, this is, this is the analytics profile for him. And then you check the film. Was he a guy where you're like, the film and the analytics marry well together. They match. I feel more confident about him because of that. With Oliver and with Bosa, both of those guys not playing a lot this year, it's going to leave you a little bit less in terms of the on-field analytics stuff, what you're looking for there, what you're looking to you know kind of check against. Without that there, you have to go back. You have to see how they performed in the past. Both of these guys, first of all, in the games that they did play this year, their rate stats are incredible. These guys get get in the backfield. They make plays behind the line of scrimmage. They get pressures on the quarterback, even if they don't get home. And, and you see all that kind of stuff, and it shows through in the numbers. Uh, the expected points added on plays in the backfield, stuff like that. They're off the charts. And then you look at it throughout the season the past year. These guys are guys that were dominant players, and the numbers show that they were dominant players, that the offense is having to account for all the time. So, yes, you see it there, but that's with the caveat that – we didn't have a lot of film or analytics on what they did on the field this year because they weren't on the field very much. Similar case, by the way, for the top two quarterbacks, Haskins and Kyler Murray. Both of these guys really only being one-year starters yeah. gives us only really one year of on-field analytics on them. In an ideal world, we'd like to have more. Again, what those guys did based on – especially Kyler Murray in terms of him just blowing away all the quarterbacks in terms of our <laughs> statistics. It's been indicative and it's been something that that matches and passes the eyeball test – Will Greer's a guy who I think you you want to bump him up the list a little bit when you look at his analytics grades. I think your uh, your Drew Locks and your um, uh, Daniel Jones, people like that. I think you want to tick those guys down a little bit when you start to look at their performance numbers based on the analytics. Just to give an example, as as you're talking, I'm looking through this thing, and at the end of each chapter for each position, you have like different leaderboards. So, for instance, you know. For the defensive tackle positions, the defensive line players, you have pressure percent leaders. And an official visit for the Eagles was LJ Collier from TCU. And I had only seen a couple of games of him in passing. I still haven't done the deep dive on the film. But what I didn't see in the couple times that I saw him was someone that got consistent pressure. However, I can see that he had a 14.6 pressure rate, which ranked very highly on your leaderboard. So that's something that if if I didn't see it and I just moved on from him, Maybe I need to watch more games on him to confirm what I saw on film was what you know matches up with the analytics, or I can at least give it context. Why did that number happen type of thing? So that's an interesting way to look at it. What do I have to be careful of when implementing analytics into that process? What are some of the pitfalls? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. Be careful of bad analytics. There's a reason why everybody's got a sour taste about this stuff because bad <laughs> analytics have been around for a long time. Yeah. Bad numbers. So be very careful. So a great example, and I'm happy you asked that question. Question. When you look at that um, pressure percentage number, that's the pressure percentage on plays where he actually rushed. Yeah. Next to that number, you should also see a rush percentage number. What, what's his rush percentage? 
Give me one second. Yeah, check that out. The rush percentage is going to tell you how often he rushed the passer when he's on the field. So one thing to be careful of is kind of a usage versus efficiency conundrum. So if you look back in basketball and we think about somebody like Allen Iverson, right? He could score really well, but he was kind of an inefficient player. The usage was off the charts, but he was an inefficient player. Uh, somebody like Steve Kerr as an NBA player was incredibly efficient, just very low usage. And if you tried to make him into a higher usage player, you tried to make him 30% of your offense like Allen Iverson was, he wouldn't have been able to handle it. His efficiency would have been worse than Allen Iverson in that case, but because he was barely used, his efficiency was better. Somebody like James Harden, he's the holy grail, right? He, even though you get usage up the wazoo, he's still managed to maintain that efficiency. And that's why, that's why the analytics people love him so much in basketball. So what you see with the rush percentage that you always need to look out for is take into account how often they're rushing. If they're only rushing about 50% of the time, if they're being used a lot of time, like, like Pittsburgh Steelers linebackers are where they, you know, one play they'll be rushing, one play they'll be dropping back into coverage. You kind of never know where they're going to be. Then all of a sudden, if you see a high pressure percentage number, that could be a little bit more scheme based. If they're rushing hundred percent of the time, 90 plus percent of the time, and they're, they're pretty much always going to be coming and they still maintain that pressure rate above 10%, then you're looking at a player that can be a really special every down pass rusher more than just a situational guy. So that that's one example of something to look for. To bring up some numbers, I mean, Collier had 358 pass rush snaps. Now you look at that compared to somebody like DeMarcus Christmas who had 215 pass rush snaps. So obviously, you're look the the bigger the sample size, the more confident you can probably feel in that number, right? Absolutely. The the more sample size you get, the harder it is to maintain a high pressure rate. So there should be an inverse relationship there. So you always want to be taking that into account when you just look at those rate stats in a vacuum. I love this conversation. When we come back here on Bleeding Green Nation, we'll dig in more to the 2019 Rookie Handbook and analytics on a wide scale. We might even dig into some Eagles nuggets, maybe some Carson Wentz stuff. All that coming up after the break here on Fireside Chats. And we are back here on Fireside Chats with Matt Manichurian from Sports Info Solutions. Matt, one of the parts that I really enjoyed about this handbook were the articles included on the front end from my friend that we already talked about, Bryce Rossler's article that challenged the idea that running on second and 10, uh, that might not be the end of the world and presents less inherent risk than passing, even if its eventual first down rate is slightly lower. You have Rossler's article with Alex uh, Vergderman, I believe it's pronounced, about the boom-bust potential of run-versus-pass play call decision-making. My buddy Keegan Abdu, who I love, has a great one about Lamar Jackson and and scramble rates uh, and success rates against certain types of coverages. I think as we're in this stage of infancy, and perhaps it's been advanced beyond that recently, so you can correct me on that, but with football analytics gaining more influence, with teams starting to ramp up spending in these departments, I think it's important that we continue to challenge conventional wisdom while also continually checking our own biases and our own new research when it comes to newer ideas. What's the message that you send to your researchers when it comes to proving and communicating new ideas or formulating new theories to test? I'm really happy you bring that up because my role here is as a translator. My role here, I'm, I'm uh, the director of the research department as well as I'm the director of the football department. And it's designed that way, not because I'm supposed to be the one guy that says everything that there is to say about either football or, or analytics over here, but because I can coordinate it. And I speak football fluently where I can talk to a, an NFL coach and understand exactly what the terminology that he's talking about is, explain that I've been in the building and I understand the type of issues that they're dealing with and really be able to, to understand their problems and communicate that to the analytics folks here. 
Then with the analytics folks, I'm not going to be creating better machine learning models. And these guys are unbelievable with their coding ability. I'm sure Bryce has told you, I mean, it, you know, yeah. it's like being around geniuses, these guys. They, <laughs> they're what you would expect, you know, from the money ball. And the great thing about interacting with them is I, I can speak their language well enough that I can just translate the football into, into that stuff. Because for a long time, a lot of the bad analytics that I'm talking about, those things happen because it's people that don't really understand football, trying to analyze football. And that's just always going to fail every time. Now, on the other side of that, we have old school football people that are just stuck in their ways and don't want to listen, even when they definitely should. So there's a culture of open-mindedness around here. And because I'm personally conflicted between my football side and my nerd side, <laughs> and honestly, I deal with enough you know, self-conflict as far as that goes, I have to be respectful of both sides of my brain. I have to respect with the football side of my brain that analytics knows a lot more about probability than my football side does. And I have to respect that the football side of my brain understands a lot more about football than, than all the highfalutin numbers that I, you know, that we're putting together do. And because I have to respect both sides of my mind, it's really easy to instill a culture where there's mutual respect between what goes on in our analytics department and what goes on in our scouting and operations department. Uh, there has to be that respect. And honestly, it's not something that I spend any time having to demand here at all. You find when you come out to Sports Info Solutions, it is a place where you've just got curiosity on top of curiosity and being able to mix people together and have somebody like Bryce sit in a room with Alex Vigderman and have these guys argue about, no, trust me, I understand the importance of running on second and 10. And Alex saying, no, trust me, all of the numbers are saying that it's terrible. And then on, when they argue, they can find common ground and we can make a reasonable point. One of my favorite things we did was the boom or bust thing. Yeah. Because all analytics people will agree that passing is more efficient than running. Right. And there's this ridiculous argument in the analytics community that it's also a safer play than running. Right, that, right. That it's less risky than running. Even though the turnover rates are higher. Right. And and like, okay, maybe if you take everything into it, but like it's just blatantly not true. There's yeah. a reason why coaches run. If I if I was coaching a game tomorrow and I knew I could run every play of the game and win, I would run every play of the game and win. I'd rather just run than pass. It's safer. I cannot lose that way. Call me a stupid old school NFL guy. <laughs> if that's how I can, I'd rather win that way with my offensive linemen coming back to me really happy because they just beat the hell out of the defensive <laughs> line rather than them complaining to me that they had to drop in pass protection 60 times, gave up one sack, and then they're they're upset about it. You know, it's you're dealing with a team here. You're dealing with 22 guys. So I think you got to bring this all together. And when you take that all together and you build that, the boomer bust, great example. We What we found was, yes, Passing's better on average. That said, the boom or bust potential on passing plays is higher than in running plays. And then we analyzed situationally the places where actually you do get more boom and more safety in passing, or actually you get about the same amount of boom with much less bust by running. And man, that's that's what you want to know, right? That's when we're actually yeah. answering questions about how to win football games. Yeah, and that's the most important part, being able to answer questions, being able to present this data and, and these theories and say, this is how it can work for you. This is how you can and apply it. And, go, and going back to a point that you had, I think it's funny, Matt, every time I put out like an analytics-driven article for Bleeding Green Nation, you always get someone in the comments that's like, these analytics nerds, blah, 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 blah. And then I'll do a film piece. And these, these guys, they don't know film. They don't know what they're like. It, it, there's always mm -hmm. a gripe with it. So you have to be able to marry it together. Yeah. And also Twitter is just crazy people. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey, is there, is there a common, uh, speaking of bad analytics, is there a common widely held misconception that you find particularly frustrating that's circulating around or perhaps a fairly new narrative that you believe misses the mark? You know, the running backs don't matter stuff bothers me. 
Um, Not that I think that it's a bad thing to say. It's that, you know, the way the whole conversation gets Twitterified, that yeah. kind of bothers me a little bit. Can we find a middle ground on that? Because the whole thing started over the the MVP debate. It was actually a scout joke that 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 got started and then blown up that way. But then it turned into the Todd Gurley MVP debate. And MVP debates are just, I mean, they're terrible for me. But then that turned into, <laughs> actually, not only should you not have a running back as an MVP, which I largely agree with, by the way, I'm kind of in the middle on this. But then that turned into running backs do not matter at all. Put anybody in there. It's all on the offensive line. Now, obviously, five players on the offensive line equal more than what you're going to get out of one player. But I, I just think it's gone right, so That's not far analytics. That's side. obvious football knowledge, right? Yeah. You watch football all the time and you realize Don Shula said, show me a good offensive line and I'll show you a good offense. Right. So, yes, we agree. The offensive line is more important than the running back. Yes, it, compared to other positions, it should be less valuable. We see, you know, they're more likely to get injured, things like that. And then at the same time, you know, I don't know how people watch the Super Bowl or the playoffs in general and say, oh, you see, I told you Todd Gurley stinks. The guy's <laughs> obviously injured, and it's yeah. the reason why they weren't as good on offense. They were better <laughs> on offense when he wasn't injured. What are we watching here? Yeah. Like, so <laughs> – I mean, yes, there are other very important positions. And so, and, and I have a lot of respect for a lot of people doing this work. And, and the reason is because it's, it's interesting and finding just how much, just how much less valuable running backs are than maybe we thought is a really interesting thing. But, you know, I remember watching Mike Shanahan offenses in the nineties and learning that quote unquote running backs don't matter. You yeah. know, it, this isn't, this isn't something that's, that's really new to football people, this concept. And there are a lot of reasons why it happens. I think a lot of times your best athletes play running back since you're in peewee. You, know, you might put them in at quarterback in when you're really little just because they don't have to hand the ball off. They can just run it themselves like single wing. But then by the time you get to high school, your best player is usually your running back. The athletes get funneled there, and I think that's changing a bit now. I think that's why yeah. we saw a couple of off-ball linebackers running 4-4, guys yeah. that maybe in the past would have been playing running back that are realizing they'll make more money playing linebacker, and their coaches had the foresight to see that. But, yeah, man, I, I, I just <laughs> – I think that going overboard and the reason why the overboard happens is it's, it's trolling. And, uh, and I mean, to an extent that's, that's fun. And, but I do get bothered really when any argument goes too far like that, it makes yeah. me queasy because it makes, it makes people that are skeptical about analytics and maybe rightfully skeptical about analytics. It makes them more skeptical and it makes them just reject it and not want to hear it and become very closed down. And that sets me back. That sets me back a lot. I think I think I I think I finished my statement there. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and, and it's interesting the way conversations unfold, especially on Twitter and you know in comment sections of Bleeding Green Nation. I see them all the time. If, for instance, the Carson Wentz versus Nick Foles debate, if you're a Wentz guy and someone comes at you and says Foles is better, what are you going to do? You're going to, to say all the things that Wentz is better at Foles than and ignore all the things that Foles is better than Wentz at. And, and that's how things get to that get to that area. But we're going to talk about Wentz in a second. I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but where we are in the evolution of implementing analytics into the way an organization makes its decisions. I want to talk about that because earlier I mentioned that it's either in its infancy or just beyond that. What kind of strides have analytics made recently to be more integrated into the process for NFL organizations? There's uh, It's really interesting because like you're saying, it runs the gamut from the kind of more advanced teams in the infancy from the teams that haven't even really begun their infancy yet. Right. So I would say when we really started talking to teams about three years ago, a lot of teams were just starting to wrap their heads around it. They, Most of them still didn't want – NextGen was starting to get gathered. They still didn't want it to be released. They were more afraid of how it would change things than, than optimistic about how it would help things. 
there I think was mostly a feeling of we don't need this. You can't you can't do this with football. Football is more complicated. There's you know there's other stuff that goes on that that's my expertise that that analytics can't understand. And the way that it's getting implemented, I think at first you saw some of the decision-making stuff, the Eagles famously doing okay. some of the fourth down decision-making stuff, getting that win probability stuff. Even before that, the way it's been integrated into video. So being able to look and just, you know, when I first started, we couldn't even just look at a video of all of our receivers' targets uh, in, a, in a season. You would right. have to look through the full games and stuff like that. So just being able to have those target cut-ups already made or, or different intricate stats, like show me every time – Ed Oliver was not lined up in a zero technique because I don't want to scout him in a zero technique because he's not going to play zero technique for me. I was just going to use that example. I, that, that's exactly where my mind was going, being able to suss that stuff out and see what you want to see. I want to see this guy play edge and he played a bunch of interior. He kicked in a bunch. I just want to see his edge. Give me all those in a row. I think that's very oh, yeah. useful. I mean, just the ba- the most basic way for the scout. That's definitely the, the first way that you're integrating in there. But I mean, then I think you're also seeing on a broader level, the types of offenses that are moving the league forward and moving the game forward, these are kind of like what analytics people are clamoring for. So we want to see more passing. We want to see more shotgun. We want to see more play action. This kind of stuff is making scoring happen more frequently and resulting in higher scores in games. And there's really not a lot that the defense can do about it. Um, because on average, these plays are more efficient than some of the plays that, you know, I used to watch with my dad and he was like, Ugh, why do they just run it up the middle all the time? It feels like they're just running it into right into the heart of the defense. Why don't they try more outside runs? And I would say, no, dad, I play high school football. I know how this works. You need to set things <laughs> up. But then we start to look at the numbers and really play this out. And, and it does seem like, you know, just running it up the gut is actually just as inefficient as my dad always thought it was. Yeah. Um, and it also doesn't seem to really have an effect on your play action game. Now, I'm really curious to see that one because yeah. at a certain point it will. Yep. So even though it hasn't yet, at a certain point it will. And this is something with all analytics. You know, you'll hear people say there's no such thing as clutch in basketball, clutch because analytics can't prove that clutch exists. I always say clutch exists. Analytics just hasn't been able to prove it yet. Yeah. Just because we can't measure something doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And if every person that's ever played basketball thinks that it exists, there's something to be said for that. So uh, we got to think about things a little bit more open-minded and realize, you know, for a long time, people thought the world was flat and then we got a a different view of things. Last thing that I want to touch on, and I could talk with you for hours about this type of stuff. I'm going to have to have you back on throughout the off season. But Matt, I asked you late last night, I said, man, if you could bring some Carson Wentz nuggets, that sure would be dope for the audience. So what do you have on the Eagles franchise quarterback Carson Wentz as far as what you saw from him from a maybe analytical standpoint from his uh, his last season, maybe even before that? What you got for me, Matt? So as soon as you told me that, I went to my best Eagles source, our scout Noah Gatsik, and mm-hmm. I said to him, tell me everything you need you know about Wentz. And <laughs> I will give you the background on Noah Gatsik because he's a funny guy. Starting about two years ago, he was all in on Foles. And he's he's so in love with Foles that I think he'd rather have Foles than Wentz right now, which I I think is a little bit ridiculous, very ridiculous. There's a clique of people like that in the Eagles fan base. They're all in the comments section. I talked with some today, actually. <laughs> I think it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but I think it's also a little bit like, hey, can't argue with what's happened. So anyway, I said, tell me what you think about Wentz. And he said, well, I don't have the exact numbers, but the fourth quarter while the team was down, he was way down in 2018. 
Also, the last two years, obviously because of the injuries, there's a real feeling that there was a lot less running and stuff like that. Yeah. I took those nuggets. I dug into the research with uh, our, our esteemed researcher, Patrick Rowley. You like this? I got I got the whole army out here for okay. you when you asked me this question. Look at you. <laughs> and and so, so Patrick put together some really awesome stuff. So on the surface, Wentz was better in 2018 than he was in 2017 in just about every stat except touchdown percentage. Right. His completion percentage up 10% on target, 7% more of the time, yards per attempt, all the stats that we look at. It's just the touchdown percentage was really, really ridiculous at 7.5% in 2017, 5.2%, much more normal 2018 numbers. The, the number he put up last year was a top four number in the last five years. We just talked about that on the QB Sco show. And I had argued in the, in the offseason, it was unpopular that he was going to see a regression in that area because, you know, maybe less mobility after the injury. But go ahead. That's interesting. So I got a better reason for the regression there. Ooh. If you split everything from being from your negative one yard line all the way to the plus 21, everywhere up until the red zone versus in the opponent's red zone from the 20 and in, that's where the difference has been. Efficiency-wise, in 2017, from his goal line to the opponent's 21-yard line, across the board, just about the same or better in 2018. There was right. there was really no difference at all. Uh, yards per attempt, 7.9 in 2017, 8.3 in 2018. More completion percentage, like we said. The rating is higher in 2018. The red zone, on the other hand, is where everything happened. And red zones among analyst circles are notoriously not sticky. They are changed from year to year a lot because there is not a lot of sample size in the red zone. Right. And so one touchdown can have an outsized influence, and that's exactly what we saw. So hmm. his red zone protection production, everything about it was just you know a totally different story from 2017 to 2018. That's where the difference was. If you want to take that back to the injury, I think that's a really interesting approach because one thing that's great about a quarterback running offense is how it affects your, your goal line offense, your wild, you know, you, I remember the wildcat when it was in vogue, that was a very popular red zone goal line scheme because mm. of the, the way that it's going to put pressure on the defense to not only have to guard the pass, but also have to worry about having all 11 guys on offense being involved in the run schemes. So anything like that or anything like like Wentz a lot of the time with a, a zone read type run, his yeah. ability to run in general, I think it makes the ability to run makes things easier in the red zone. That's kind of just a historical truism. So we see almost all the difference from his 2017 stats to his 2018 stats are completely red zone related. So then we looked at that and we said, well, maybe maybe uh, running backs were just stealing touchdowns from him. Uh, so we looked inside the five. There were actually 19 running back touchdowns in 2017 and just 12 in 2018. So yeah. that's a, that's not what happened there. There is something going on in the red zone that it was not as good. And honestly, mostly it's probably he was, you know, you're, you're somewhere in between your best and your worst. The last two years might have been his best and his worst red zone season that we see in the next 10 years. Right. It's very possible that he's just going to be in between there from now until then. Then the narrative fourth quarter while losing that he wasn't good this year, totally false. He was identical, basically, from 2017 to 2018 in the fourth quarter while losing. Uh, <laughs> more sample size where he was losing in 2018 than in 2017. Right. But in terms of all the efficiency stats, it's actually better in 2018 than it was in 2017. Finally, quarterback rating 99 in 2018 to 85 in 2017 in the fourth quarter while losing. So all of that kind of stuff is true. Let's dig a little bit deeper, though, right? Because we want to figure out what's going on with this guy. Yeah. Carson Wentz. So. If I told you that his ADOT took a huge drop-off, would you be surprised? From 2017 to 2018, I don't think I would. Well, you would be correct because he was second in the league behind Jameis Winston in ADOT, and he was all the way down to 18th this year. Now, yeah. 
a dot a lot of times it, you know we can see some consistency there but it's not always going to be the truth that we see that that same thing every year different offenses happen they do things different ways it's possible that the way the offense kind of evolved under Foles towards the end of 2017 to right. be more of that kind of get the ball out quick short stuff game might have actually changed the way that he was being used it might have had a resulting kind of effect there where they might have gone away from what he does really well and then finally really weird thing with Zach Ertz so Wentz obviously doesn't go to Ertz as much as Nick Foles does. I think any Eagles fan would know that kind of right off the top of his head. But he does have more efficiency on average going to Zach Ertz than Nick Foles does. So just because he went to Ertz more often, people associate that as being a big part of Foles' success. Whereas actually, if Wentz just went to him somewhat more often, he's already having a better efficiency than Foles has when he goes to him. So, I mean, we can say anything we want about, you know, how these guys get along off the field and, oh, they just have a connection and this and that. Throw the ball to Ertz more often and you'll have a better season. You know, you know what the narrative is around Philly is the fact that Wentz bird dogs Ertz when What do you what do you mean when you say that? Ertz is his favorite target. He'll he'll stare him down. He's gonna target him at a higher frequency. But what you're telling me is that Foles targets Ertz more than Wentz does, correct? Yeah. We had yeah. I mean, that totally blows that whole narrative up, which I love because I've always hated that. That was a big talking point throughout the season. That is true. Um, and we had Ertz with just eight and a half yards per reception with Foles under center. To key off of Ertz when Foles is in there, yeah. I think is easier because because that's where that's where he wants to go a lot of the time. So it's hard to understand kind of a lot of the way things went down. The the key thing when we look through all of these numbers is not a really big difference from 2017 to 2018. In fact, in most of the field, he was better in 2018. The red zone was a ridiculous outlier in a positive way in 2017. Yeah. It was probably much lower than we can expect it to be going forward in 2018. And we'll see something in between there in the future. In general, one thing that might have been frustrating about watching him this past year was that he didn't push the ball down the field as much as he did in 2017. And then also the ridiculous third down numbers that he had in 2017. To see something at that level and expect that to recreate itself, that's tough. I think in the future, there's nothing to be concerned with in terms of in terms of Carson Wentz and and what he's done. You know, look at the injuries. If the injuries hold up and, and they're not creating multiple issues going into the future, statistically, when we look at it, all the things that we think are more sticky, the things that are be more stable year to year, they seem to show that Wentz is Wentz. And all the things that really have a lot of noise and kind of go one way or another from one year to the next, those are the things that that we're seeing the frustration, quote unquote, result from. And then, I mean, we didn't even get into, but if you look at like the defense that these yeah. guys have had, I mean, we don't even need to talk about those stats. It's It's absolutely crazy the amount of like, quote unquote, run support that these guys have had. And that's why quarterback wins and pitcher wins are not our favorite statistics. I was just about to ask you if quarterbacks wins was a stat. I don't believe it is. And and I remember the Rams game with Foles when Foles came in and, and all of a sudden the defense started creating turnovers and the average starting field position was much better. And the offense as a whole was much less efficient than it had been. And I'm thinking, am I taking crazy pills? What, how are people not seeing all of these other ancillary effects that go into a total team win? So that that's the frustrating part with that whole debate. Luckily, that's all over now. Well, that relates to my, my biggest, most frustrating debate, and that's that Tom Brady is not the best quarterback of all time. He's Ooh. won the most Super Bowls. He's not the best quarterback of all time. If you talk to any coach, probably including Bill Belichick, there's probably other dudes that he'd rather have starting a game for him if he could choose. 
So uh, you want, if you want to go in on that one with me, I'm happy to. But I, I feel quarterback wins is is it's crazy to me how much wins is a team stat. If you want to call yep. it attribute to anybody, attribute to the head coach. Head coach wins. I think that's kind of fair. But really, there's a lot of people that impact winning and losing. And even to just put it on the head coach or the quarterback, I mean, it's crazy to me. There are lots of great quarterback stats that we can use to great quarterbacks. They're not wins, please. <laughs> I 100% agree. Matt. Thank you so much for joining us today. Give us the rundown one more time regarding where the listeners can find you and the Sports Info Solution stuff and the 2019 Rookie Handbook. Pitch it all, man. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, first of all, I should mention, because we talked about the video scout position, we are hiring for 2019 yeah. football video scouts right now. So if you have an interest in a career in football operations or analytics, we'll be starting in August. We'll take you all the way through the season. Um, we're right here in Copley, Pennsylvania. It's, uh, it's about as good a football office you can be in. It's, just, it's the biggest scouting department in the league. Every NFL game, every college football game. Um, so check that out at sportsinfosolutions.com. There you can also check out our blog, uh, sportsinfosolutionsblog.com, I should say, is where you can check out some of their writing if you like the stuff in the Rookie Handbook. And then, of course, the Rookie Handbook, like you said, it's available um, on the link. Uh, you can also get it on Amazon, actasports.com. And find me on Twitter. I'm at Matt Mano, Sports Info Solutions, at Sports Info underscore SIS, tweeting out all kinds of interesting things. And then you can catch me on the Off the Charts Football Podcast. And Michael, we got to have you on sometime. I would absolutely love to. That would be awesome. Thank you, man, again for coming by. We got to do this again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. I got a little sweaty. (laughs) 